Johnson. I'm 23 years old and in 2008 I won this gold medal at the Paralympic Games in Beijing. Elizabeth Johnson just in front, they go to the wall, it's desperately close and getting it is Johnson, 141.87. I'm only who I am because of everything that's happened and the way that I've responded and the opportunities that have opened up and the lessons I've learned. I say that swimming massively impacted my life in terms of it used to influence every decision I made and every choice that I was faced with. That, what a race. Elizabeth Johnson of Great Britain. She was the world record holder. She was the favorite. I guess we learned to control the controllables. And so whenever I was faced with a decision, um, I would look at how my swimming was going to respond to that. Society exists on this idea that there's, a, there's an ideal person and an ideal way to be. So in that sense, you are, have a disability because you, you're not that, basically, right? So you're, you're fighting that ableism concept that the, the ideal person exists. I'm so excited to have you here, Liz. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Could you start off by kindly telling the audience a little bit about you? Yeah, for sure. Though I think you stole my headline of my intro. So, um, but yeah, I guess I've been fortunate in some respects to um, live a life where opportunity has arisen, um, sometimes because of my disability, sometimes in spite of it. Um, I think I'd be naive to think that like it wasn't all without some hard work, um, but that like you always need a little bit of luck. So yeah, I swam for 20 years pretty much in the para swimming um, program and setup. And I was fortunate to go to three Paralympics. Um, as you mentioned, I won gold uh, in Beijing in 2008. I went to Athens in 2004 and then London in 2012 at home, which was amazing and got a medal at each. So that was also nice. Um, and I think, I think the experience I had as an athlete massively helped me then transition into, I want to say the big bad wide world. Um, um, I, I guess, like I said, like, because I've, it wasn't always easy. I wasn't naturally the best swimmer on the planet, but um, I worked hard and I guess I, I learned, I learned to take feedback and I learned that actually the things that inspire you or what get out, you get out, get you out of bed in the morning. Um, and also I think it helped me realize that when I transitioned out of sport, I wanted to be involved with something that ignited that passion in the same way, but maybe in a different field, which is exactly how I ended up um, where I am now working at the Abilities People, I guess. And so um, I know you're broadcasting from Brazil right now. So how does someone born in Newport, South Wales, end up in Brazil? And uh, tell us a little bit about your journey in life. Well, I think I say that swimming massively impacted my life in terms of it used to influence every decision that I made and every choice that I was faced with based on how, how my swimming would be impacted. Because as I mentioned, I wasn't the most naturally gifted athlete, uh, swimmer, but I had all the attributes it took to be an athlete. And I used to always, I guess we learned to control the controllables. And so whenever I was faced with a decision, um, I would look at how my swimming was going to respond to that how it was going to be impacted and I would make my choice on that basis but similarly it then influenced my friendship groups and where I got to travel and the other opportunities that opened up and I'm not sure if he would be happy if I referred to him as an opportunity but essentially I met my husband um, swimming um, and he swims from Brazil 
Um, and so that's how I've ended up here because he still competes. So obviously with Tokyo 2020 now one, hopefully happening this summer, his schedule is less flexible than mine. So that's brought me to Brazil rather than him coming to Britain. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's why I'm here. And I think that that basically is a good summary of how my whole life's gone. Like, I think I've always been faced with opportunities and choices to make, and I've made them based on, um, what's the most time sensitive or what's going to make the biggest impact at the time. Um, and actually it stood me in pretty good stead because I would say I was probably quite risk averse and I'd always worry about if I did something and it didn't work out. Whereas having a focus, whatever that focus is at time in your life, um, to help you make those decisions and give you direction, I think took that burden away from me a little bit about worrying about if it didn't work out because I'd make the choice, I'd commit to it and just see where it took me. That's a really interesting point. Uh, your, I think I hope the listeners pick up on, it, on this concept of if you have a focus, in a way it helps you embrace risk, right? And it's a, I, I guess a bit like swimming, you probably have a destination. Right? You know you know what you're meant to do and hopefully in a certain amount of time, right? So having that, that focus really helps. But how did you transition from, I mean, looking at your CV, you've done so many amazing things, of course, television reporter, um, worked in trusts, of course, worked in, in, in the Paralympic Swimming Championship Network. But how did you... And move into the Ability uh, People project and, and what is the Ability People project for the listeners that don't know it? So I think, as I said, like swimming used to give me opportunity and it used to drive a lot of the decisions I made, but, like, but avenues opened up and I think that's one thing I took from my childhood and my life generally is there's a lot in this world you can't control, but there's something quite powerful about feeling enabled and when you own a decision, even if it turns out to be a good one or a bad one, there's some, the empowering part is you made that choice. And so one thing my parents used to always say to me is you can swim for as long as you like and we'll support you. But remember, like it doesn't define you and it could go wrong at any time. And like they were trying to keep my feet on the ground, right? Because um, I was like, I was a teenager doing something I absolutely loved um, and like fortunate to get funded for it. So it was, it was better than like for me, it was way better than going to work in the, in the shop on a Saturday or in the, in the bank after school, which a lot of my friends did. I was doing something I loved. And it was funding my lifestyle. Um, and like, so gradually, but similarly, I was aware that you're only as good as your next swim. And there's, there's only so much you can do. Like you can, you can swim faster than you've ever swum before. But if someone swims even quicker, then you, you don't win. So you have to have tangible um, goals and tangible results and things that, that will impact you and will reflect upon you regardless of an external outcome that you can't control. Um, and so that meant that, I always, I kept up my education, I think, was one of the biggest things. And I, again, I, I, I let swimming govern that too. I chose my subjects. I got rid of everything I didn't like, saw what was left on the list. And then I worked out what would fit best into the timetable that I could allow me to swim. And so I chose those subjects. Um, and when my parents, my dad more so than my mum, was asking me what I wanted to do when I was older, I was like, oh, well, I like maths and I like money, so I'll be an accountant. So I was I pursued a business management degree and I specialized in finance. Um, and so that meant then that a lot of opportunities opened up alongside my swimming because there were some sponsorship opportunities with corporate organizations that realized that actually I was, it was more than being an athlete. It's about 
what you're going to do later in life and actually helping you evolve as an individual. So that kept me in that corporate world and kept me in that understanding of potential opportunities post being an athlete, which I think was really helpful and really beneficial. But ultimately I ended up um, where I am with the ability people because when I did retire, I appreciated how fortunate I'd been as a person with a disability to have a career that I was skilled in, but also I enjoyed and I loved and I had choice. Um, And actually my attention was drawn to the fact that people with disabilities, the employment gap for them. So the difference between the amount of people with disability in employment and those who don't have disabilities in employment was huge. And it was stood, it had stood at over 30% for over a decade. And I was like, well, why is this? And like a lot of my life has been like a combination of things happening all at the same time that have led me down a path. And at that point, I was like, I was broadcasting, as I still am, like mostly in sport, but like looking at opportunities for other things. And I was like, is it like, why is this? Is there a program on this or is it something bigger? Um, and as I delved deeper, I just realized that there was just such a massive gap in people's understanding of what disability actually is and what it represents. Um, And so it was affecting people's ability to access employment opportunities uh, based on a number of reasons. And I wanted to try and do my bit to fix it. I mean, I know you can't change the world in a day, but you can change someone's world. Um, And actually I felt like I was in a privileged position to have the platform that being an athlete and being a Paralympic champion had given me. So it would have been reckless of me to ignore that. Um, and, I, and it kept me then involved in something I was passionate about, like positive change and education and increasing exposure. And it just so happened that I, again, everything came together. Co-founder Steve Carter, an event I was speaking at, and we got talking afterwards. And he had a similar frustration to me about the idea of the lack of people with disabilities and diversity within talent pools, but he was coming at it from the angle that he's a recruiter and he's been a recruiter for over 30 years. And he's like, these people must exist. They do exist in the world. So why do they never come through the process to get these jobs? So then we sat down and we looked at it and I gave him my take on it. And he, he explained to me the recruitment like processes and how they work. And so then I highlighted where the barriers were. And so we decided that we wanted to create more meaningful employment opportunities for those with disabilities, but actually it leads to authentic inclusion for all. Um, and so by setting up the ability people or TAP as we affectionately call it, we created a working environment where we removed all unnecessary barriers. So everyone in our team, has a disability or an impairment or a medical condition of some kind that means that they don't um, necessarily prefer to work in conventional working environments. It doesn't mean they couldn't. Some of them couldn't, but some of them could, but it doesn't benefit their overall lifestyle to do so. Um, and then help them help them work in that environment, but then also provide consultancy to organizations to normalize those differences, to in to humanize interactions, to dispel myths around what disability actually is and what it represents, and actually bring the corporate world into 2021. So that's what the Ability People does now. Is And like it does largely end up focusing with organizations, helping them around their recruitment processes and their attraction. But actually, a lot of the time, it's about re- 
um, reframing their current processes, resetting their current ideas so that they realize that actually there's probably a lot of people with disabilities already working within their organizations, but maybe not being able to reach their full potential because they're trying to fit into a system that isn't designed for them. So that's what we do. <laughs> that's, that's that's fascinating. And um, you know, I, I guess I'm trying to understand it and because I, I think, you know, it's interesting diversity as a word. I don't, for some reason, uh, um, people with abilities, um, I, I don't see, I don't, I never really thought about it in that context. You know, of course, there's, there's the, I, I, my, my wife is Chinese, my son is half Chinese, and, I, and I'm always worried about a future in places like the UK where maybe he won't be included in some things because he's perceived as Chinese, you know. So, so that, that diversity concept is very much front of my mind. But I guess the, the disability element of it, I'd never really conceptualized it before in my head and and i guess um you know how do corporations how do you go about making a corporation um more accessible i guess or more 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 um more available to understand this problem and and and, and adjust their systems which are often set in stone right how do you how do you bring them about how do you get them to understand it i think the point you make about being very aware of things that relate to you or yeah. impact someone that you're close to or within your social circle or, 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 or your environment is a very poignant point to make. And actually that's the reality, right? We, a lot of the time we're oblivious to difference because we've never experienced it. So the number one thing that we do at the ability people is expose people to those differences and make them comfortable with them because actually and I think that's a large strength in what we do is, like I said, everybody in the team has an impairment of some kind. Um, and it may, But actually, we're all human. And actually, a lot of people have never been able to access individuals who are not like them before. And disability is one of the most misunderstood demographics because we react to visual stimulus, stimulus right? So like you said, like with your son, people would look at him and they would see that he is slightly different but, and they would make an assumption based on that. And when it comes to disability, a lot of the same happens. So people see a person who they assume or perceive to have a disability and they jump to an assumption about what that person is capable of or what that is going to mean for them as an individual who doesn't have a disability to fix, in inverted commas, to enable the person with a disability. But actually, that's not necessary. People don't want you to do things for them. They just want to have an equal opportunity to access. So it's not about being treated equally and treated the same, but it's having the equitable experience. So it's like the same opportunity to be successful. And so I think the way we do it at the Ability People, which is slightly different to the majority of people that deal with disability inclusion, is that we talk about the real issues and we make ourselves um, available for questions that are dark and deep sometimes, but that really play on people's mind, but actually help re-educate the learning that people have had for over 50 years. So we personify what we are trying to encourage people to do and because, because people find it difficult to believe in something they can't see, which again is why disability demographic is always treated so differently and is so far behind in its advancements and its movements in the sense of the way people perceive them is because 
if you think about the media or you think about movies or you think about life generally and the way people are portrayed if they have a disability, it's either that they are superhuman or that they are need are in re- need receipt of charity or pity or assistance. And so we need to reframe that and change the narrative because actually 70% of people with disabilities have invisible disabilities. So if you're waiting for that visual stimulus in order to act and help them, then you're never going to get that. But actually, and we say, you if you focus on purely diversity, all that does is to change the way things look. That doesn't necessarily change the way things happen or the way people think. But if you look at authentic inclusion and you remove as many unnecessary, well, no, remove all the unnecessary barriers, then everyone benefits. So it isn't just people with a disability that would benefit, but people who have different home commitments or people who who look different for whatever reason or people who have different educational backgrounds. If you create an environment where people can present their best self and show you what they're capable of, then what that does that's when the the playing field gets leveled. That's when you end up hiring the best talent. And that's when you end up being the most productive as, a, as an organization. Did that make sense? It makes total sense. And I'm, I'm, I'm learning while I'm listening uh, about this because it's not a subject, as you say, I've been exposed to. Um, so I, I find it fascinating. And I love educating myself about this. But I also like your name, the ability people. I feel like, I feel like it's almost... Um, the word disability kind of puts people at a disadvantage, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's actually perhaps the wrong word. Um, I, I, I sometimes use the analogy um, for myself. I have dyslexia. And so when I was young, it was a big problem. I was teased a lot about it. Teachers thought I was stupid. It turns out it's actually my superpower <laughs> because the way I learned to hack it, you know, I didn't read a book. I couldn't read a book. So what I used to do when I had to submit a book report is I'd ask the 30 people in my class who'd all read that book. I interviewed them. What was your view on that book? And then I'd have 30 different views on the same book. And then I'd write, or get dictate to my mum, actually, an essay uh, around that concept. I've actually got 30 different points of view um, instead of just the one from reading it myself. So turning that, that disability into a superpower is, 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 is kind of what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, it's again, it's about the way that disability is viewed in society and the misunderstanding about what that represents. And it's exactly right. It's, I mean... It's an unfortunate word in the sense that the dis comes at the beginning, but actually it reflects on the way that society is. And so society exists on this idea that there's a there's an ideal person and an ideal way to be. So in that sense, you are have a disability because you you're not that, basically, right? So you're you're fighting that ableism concept that the the ideal person exists. But the, the biggest misconception is from, like the difference between disability and being disabled. And like, so I always say, I have a disability. I'm okay with that. It's cerebral palsy, right? And again, like you said, people viewed it differently, dyslexia, and they shouldn't because again, it's, just, it's a disability. It's, it's okay. And it's okay to have a disability because it doesn't define you. The problem comes that like when people don't understand that and they assume that it means you are less capable And you are no less capable of achieving an objective just because you do it differently. And that's where the reframing and the understanding needs to change around disability. And like I quite often say, I have terrible palsy. Like I said, I don't wake up some days and it's not there and other days it is. I live with it. It's there all the time. It's a part of who I am, but it's 
It doesn't prevent me doing things. It prevents me doing them like other people do them, but it doesn't prevent me doing them. And I think that's what we have to be understanding of. And that's what we also have to be okay to be taught about because a lot of the time, like you said, generations before us, people with disabilities, I mean, initially it was any disability. And then over time, it's been like they've changed the way some exposure to disability changes and that gets understood, but other people are still treated. So rather than trying to support you with your dyslexia at school and figure out a way for you to communicate that essay that isn't like everybody else, but still gets the essay written. So for now, for example, you might do a voice note or you might use um, voice to text, or like you said, you might get someone to scribe for you, whatever. That The outcome's the same. You still submit the content that was in your brain. But in the education system, and especially generations ago, there was only a one-size-fits-all policy. And if you didn't fit into that, then you didn't survive or you didn't thrive. You might survive, but you didn't thrive. And I think the education system has definitely got better at that and become more open to it. But the problem in the workplaces, a lot of the people who are in positions for hiring or positions um, for making decisions have that experience of what it meant to be to have a disability. And yes, you then became disabled, but not because of your dyslexia or in my case, my cerebral palsy, but because of the processes that were in place that prevented you from reaching your potential and showing you what you were capable of. And actually... Again, you can't expect people to know the answer to that or be even be aware of it because if it's never affected them. But, but ignorance is not an excuse. And like we all have, we all have biases and we all have unconscious biases. And like you're never going to get to a world where we don't have it. Like I always say, I'm a Liverpool fan, right? So whenever I meet a Man United fan, like I instantly make a decision about them. And some of my best friends are Man United fans. But the point is, I make a decision. That's bias, right? It's got nothing to do with my disability. Like that's football, but it exists. But and it doesn't matter that I have it, but it matters if I'm not aware of it and I don't check it and make sure that it's not impacting decisions I make or interactions I have or actions that I perform to, to disadvantage another individual. That's what a lot of what we do at the Bills People is reframe that thinking. But disability is not a bad word, and it doesn't mean I'm weaker. It just means I'm different. I think, but this does creep into diversity as a subject as well I mean I just think about my own childhood um I didn't realize that my own mother was racist until I was much older you know and I it's funny how you you do grow up with whatever your environment uh, dictates to you is what's normal and what's not normal right so um and I guess the point I'm making here is that you know what you're saying is really resonates with me and you you are definitely affected by what is happening to you in your life and what you're saying which I think is important for people to do is get exposed to these other pockets of life and and normalize normalize what 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 you perceive as abnormal <laughs> and see it's just you know one more unique human being right um with their own unique strengths and weaknesses which we all have right there's no there's no perfect human being 
So um, it's, it's fascinating. But um, I, I wanted to go back to your childhood, I guess, for a second, just to understand you know, your journey. Um, from what I was reading about you, you, you started swimming at four years old. Was this something that naturally happened or was this something your parents said? And, 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 and at, at that age, you, you know, you were diagnosed with cerebral palsy, right? So did, 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 was it a factor in, in the process? Were your parents worried? Did they, did they have this unconscious bias towards it? So I was diagnosed with my cerebral palsy when I was six months old, and actually, I, like, which was ve- it's very early. Um, and I think, like, largely, my cousin is exactly a month older than me, and my mum was a teacher, so she had that awareness, I guess, of child development, and she had a direct comparison. So she she picked up very early that I I didn't I did things differently even as a baby. Like I started to dom- like reach for things with my dominant hand and like I, I, I favored that hand and I, if I fell to one side, then like when I was crawling and so I couldn't get back up and all those things. So I was very fortunate to get my diagnosis early, especially back then. Um, and I think, I, I think I've got a lot to be grateful for. And the biggest thing, and I think as I get older, I have an even bigger appreciation for it. It's just how strong my mum must've been to put me in situations where yet to watch me, I'm like, so I don't use struggle in a term. I don't always struggle. Life is not one big struggle. But when I'm trying to do things like everybody else is in, in a timely fashion with only the equipment that they've got available to them, then yes, sometimes it's more, it is more difficult. It is more challenging. And like I find now when I take my friend's children somewhere, if, if I see them str- like having difficulty climbing up the ladder to the slide or something, I want to go and help them. Mm-hmm. So it must have been so it must have been heart wrenching, and she she was so strong to put me in situations. And I think she used to put me. She'd do enough preparation to know that it was a controlled environment for me to figure things out. Like so, she didn't wrap me in cotton wool. She made sure I had all the opportunities that my other friends and peers had at every age. But she also made sure that like it was a secure enough environment that I wasn't going to be traumatized by my experience. Um, and ultimately. I learned to swim at four years old because that's what everyone did. Like, and we lived, we live, well, we live on an island. I mean, but like we, but also I live by a canal and I we used to, we were fortunate. Like my, both my parents worked, so we used to go on holidays and I think they wanted to be able to enjoy their summer holiday and not worry about their child drowning in the pool. Um, but I think the other thing is that my mum was very good at was saying, look, you're not going to be like, you're not going to do it like everybody else but it doesn't matter. So me and my mum, we had this thing where we never focused on, she would always introduce a new activity to me and tell me what the objective was and then let me figure it out. And she would support me with that. So when I was learning to tie my laces, for example, she didn't teach me to tie my laces like she did or show me an able-bodied peer tying their laces. She said, right, these are laces and this is this is how they've got to end up. So how are we going to do it? And she saw my instinct. She used to let me go with my instinct. Um, and then she would go, do you reckon this would make it easier? And we trial trial and error a lot of the time. But ultimately, I think it, from very early on, she realized we weren't going to be doing things like everyone else. But it didn't mean we couldn't get to the same end point. And for that, I'll be eternally grateful. And I'm definitely of the mindset that she sacrificed a lot more of her emotions um, and it must've been heart wrenching for her. But as a result, I'm an independent, successful adult that I maybe wouldn't have been um, if it hadn't have been for her approach to that. Wow. I, um, I'm sending love to your mum right now. 
I think that's uh, yeah, me too. Beaming it and, and, and <laughs> respect and respect. As, as someone with a three and a half year old, you know, he climbs a wall. I'm literally holding his hand, um, and the wall isn't that high. You know, like a foot high, and I'm like, don't fall. <laughs> so um, it takes a very brave uh, parent um, to to kind of uh, do that. And you know, it, it, it fascinates me just understanding. You said earlier that you um, you were able to make a living doing what you love, which I think is a dream for a lot of the, my listeners. Um, and so I have to say, again, uh, this is more like a job, maybe a misconception, but in my mind, there isn't much money being a Paralympic swimmer. So how, does it, how, how did that play out? I mean, I do see athletes as entrepreneurs in my mind. They end up often having to get brand endorsements, get an agent, whatever. But how did you actually make it sustainable for yourself? How does that work as a business? I think the reality is you're absolutely right. It's not, and depending on the sport, obviously, and there's some sports that end up actually becoming more entertainment and, and the, the price tag goes with that. So baseball, football, basketball, those kinds of sports. But you, like a lot of professional sports people and athletes do end up in, in very typical jobs after they finish. But I think for me, it was at the time, what I was getting out of it was was worth it for me. So I was getting funded. And whilst... Like, so when I looked at my, when I graduated in 2007 and my friends, I was then going to train for Beijing and my friends were going into graduate programs. At that time, what I was receiving funding wise was the same as what they were receiving in their new roles. And I was okay with that. I mean, I guess the, the, the flip of it is if I swam badly or if somebody beat me or something happened and I couldn't swim anymore, then that money stopped. Right, there's no longevity in it. There's no there's no financial security in terms of the pension or anything like that. But at the time, I was like, actually, this is helping me do what I want to do. I'm happy doing what I do. And I was fortunate, enough, like I said, to get some corporate sponsors. So EDF Energy sponsored me and BT sponsored me. Um, and I think so, again, that helped me. And I was just, like I said, I had a business degree. And like I, I made, for me, what were sensible decisions at the time. So like I bought a house. I didn't rent a house. So instead of paying rent, I was paying my mortgage. So whilst the same money was going out, eventually I was investing in it for me. Um, and so I never felt like in that sense that my, my peers that weren't athletes were running away down that professional path at a greater rate than I was. Um, and again, I'll say I was really fortunate, like, like life's about opportunity. And I'm really fortunate. I was born at the right time because I think, like I hit para-sport just at the right time. Like when I when I was deciding I wanted to be a Paralympian, I was meeting people who were inspiring me to do that. The Paralympics wasn't on the TV. Like nobody knew what it was and there was no money in it. And funding, lottery funding had just started, but there was no major sponsorship involved or anything like that. But as I grew up through para-swimming as the Paralympic movement was growing as well. And so the timing in that sense could not have been better. Um, so there's, you have to be a bit realistic about these things. And similarly, when I retired and transitioned into sports broadcasting, well, that was the right time too, because if I tried to do that 20 years ago, the Paralympics wasn't on the TV and therefore there would have been no job to have. And similarly, even doing what I'm doing with the ability people, if I tried to do that 30 years ago, people would have thought I was crazy. I mean, they still think I'm a bit crazy, but like my passion overtakes the fact that people think I'm crazy. So I'm okay with that. But like, so I think, I think it's balance is, is the short answer to what you're saying. Um, and you can do it two ways. You can either, you can either swim and think, yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting funded 
to, to do for this lifestyle and spend every penny you've got and then leave with nothing. Or you can be a bit savvy because I because always I always wanted to finish on my terms as well. So I do never I never wanted to be the fact that I didn't make a time for funding or um, I didn't make a team and I was going to stop. I wanted to finish when I it was no longer the most important thing to me or when I had other things that I'd like to focus on. And so as a result, I was like, well, actually, you need to make sure you've got enough money to enable you to do that moving forward. Like you don't you never want to swim because they're paying you to swim because as soon as you have to like I it wasn't easy getting up at 4 37 in the morning but it was worth it because I was doing what I wanted to do but as soon like I swam with so many people that used to be like me and loved it but then we're at the end of their career and they were getting out of bed because it was paying their mortgage or paying their bills and I never wanted to be in that position where I lost that love of it, but also the freedom to make my own choices based on if I didn't, they would take my funding off me. So I think like it was balance and the idea of like being financially independent. Very important. How did you keep that balance? Because again, I'm I'm thinking about my listeners, the parallel to um, being an athlete and being an entrepreneur to me is, is very similar. You know, there's, there's a lot of people that dream of being self-employed. And they go off and become self-employed and then they get trapped or hate their own business. Um, and they feel they, they've got to keep it going because it, it pays the bills, um, but they don't enjoy it, don't love it. How did you keep the love of When you say balance, give me, give, what is that exactly? How did you do that? So I think, I think in terms of balance, it's about understanding that sometimes less is more. And actually, you've got to do what prepares you to be the best your best version of your best self at any given time. So if you burn out or you overcommit or you're not happy and you're not, you're not remembering why you're doing, you're not, you're not getting that enjoyment, then you can't bring that same level of passion to what you're doing. So, and I think it's, and it's, it's hard because especially as an entrepreneur, nine times out of 10, you are working on your baby. Like it was your idea Nobody knows it better than you in the beginning. It's in your head and you're trying to get it out there. And then, but over time, you need to get other people in your network to support you. And whether that's in your actual organization and you delegate some opportunities and some roles or that you just have a a backroom staff and not even linked to the organization, but just in your team at home or in your friendship group that you can vent to and you can bounce ideas off so you don't feel like you're carrying the burden I would say, again, like I said, I learned that through swimming initially as an athlete. And I definitely carried that into being an entrepreneur and setting up the ability wheel. But similarly, I massively at one point fell foul and I, to do it. And I was literally spinning a hundred plates. And I like the thing that was um, neglected was me and my time at home, um, I guess. But then for me, that was one positive to come out of the pandemic was it forced me to slow down. It forced me to stop. And it forced me to reevaluate what was what was happening and reminded me what I loved about being at home and working out a way to make more of that happen, but without completely abandoning what I already do. So I think, yeah, that in terms of balance and in terms of the transition and in terms of the similar skills it's that ability to have self-awareness but also be able to reflect periodically to make sure that what was getting you up in the morning originally is still what make what's making you tick now and if it isn't that's okay but finding another way to reignite that passion it's the ability people business a for-profit business 
Yes. So yeah. the ability vault is for profit, which again was very important to us and everyone that's involved with it because one of the um, when we were doing our research and when we were looking to things, one of the things we realized was a lot of the time, a lot of things and organizations associated to helping people with disabilities are charities, which is vital. You need charities, and you, but then the knock-on effect that has is that a lot of then organizations or people think that by, like, by helping a person with disability, you're giving them charity or they need charity. And we wanted to break that. And realize that actually no it's it should be a conscious decision and actually it should be for profit because this knowledge that you're gaining these skills that you're gaining are an investment into your organization to improve the productivity to improve the bottom line to improve the the well-being of your staff so it is an investment and actually people it's it's also a reality that people value things that they have to pay for, even if they don't, even if they don't have to pay much for them, but they value it more if um, they, they, they feel like they, they've had to earn it, so to speak. I think it's a very interesting thing too. A lot of people want to build purposeful businesses like you, you have um, that do good, um, but somehow the concept of profit is, is seen as... Um, What's the word? I want to say evil, but that's too that's too dark. I think I think people perceive the businesses that do good shouldn't shouldn't necessarily make money, which is wrong. I agree with you completely. I think actually you need to have the best people in those organisations, so you need to pay them properly, right? You need to be able to hire the very best talent to solve the biggest 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 problems. I recently interviewed someone I really respect, a guy called Jeff. He's running a homeless charity, and he said it best. He's like, you know, I don't know why these 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 charities even are um, perceived that they can't pay people properly it's almost they're doing something wrong if they're paying people properly it shouldn't be that way around it should be the companies that are doing you know he was highlighting finance companies that make a lot of money out of doing bad things they shouldn't get the most amount of money (laughs) it should be flipped on its head right it should actually be the people doing the the most good should be the best paid Uh, and there should be a direct correlation to to the two so i i like the model is it a b corp model is the other one i find interesting you know where it's about the bottom it's not measured by profit alone it's it's measured by the impact you have right so um, what what is success for you today how how do you measure success as a, as an organization as a person so obviously as an organization we uh, our success is all around uh, like our ability to normalize difference and the impact if we've changed perceptions and increased exposure and created more meaningful employment opportunities and the key is meaningful like you said um so it's not just someone in a job to tick a box or to look like the impact is affected, but actually to change the entire organization. That's success in a business then. But actually, for me personally, I think, I, I think it's, it's been a theme that's run through our whole chat. But like I realized that actually happiness is success. So if you you can have all of the extrinsic things going on you can have physical um you can be earning a certain amount of money or you can have a certain size house or you can have a certain look family or whatever or live in a certain place or travel a certain amount of time whatever but ultimately if you've got all that and you're not happy then are you truly successful and i think the answer for me is no i think so i think happy is a bit cheesy but i think happiness is the biggest measure um of your success and i think again like you're right, the idea around having positive, having a positive impact on something or somebody um, 
is a feel good factor. It does create happiness, but it shouldn't be instead of it's not mutually exclusive to an organization still making profit and actually if you're going to do it do it for the right reasons there are plenty of people out there who have the skill sets that you need that that can fit that can still fit the mold um but also make positive impact on so on social circumstances or on the environment um and actually again that's why it's important that some organizations are for profit because you have to change that narrative around it's an either or it's not an either or. And actually, if you, if you're truly inclusive, you'll get diversity as a byproduct. And as a result, you will end up with a more competitive organization. Completely agree. And I love the message. Um, Do you think that going forward, um, the, the business model that you're running now, how, how well, the, the question I'm thinking about is like, how do you get a business like yours off the ground? How, how did you make it happen? Again, a lot of my listeners wonder, you know, I want to start a business and they might be listening to you right now feeling like, wow, I want to do something purposeful. They've got something they care about that they think is they can fix in the world. How did you go about getting this, 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 this project off the ground? What was the process? I think firstly, you've got to identify the issue that you're trying to tackle. Um, and, and, and realistically look at the barriers to it and then remove any unnecessary barriers and create the right team. So fill, don't, don't fill your, your support network or even your team in, within the organization with people who are saying the right thing. Like get a feel of their actions, let their actions speak and make sure that you're all united in the overall objective and the overall goal. Um, I think for me, that's the that was the biggest thing in terms of setting it up and getting it fundamental organically grow is because we don't forget that like don't forget why you set it up and what the issue is that you're trying to tackle and and it's really hard as an entrepreneur or as a startup to because especially if you're collaborating with people who are who come from different walks of life to you you've all got different ways of doing things but if you're united over the overall objective, then you'll always end up in the right place um, and stay true to yourself. So don't bend over and say yes to people or do things because it's the only way you're going to get that deal. Be prepared to not get that deal if it's not in line with what you're trying to achieve or it doesn't it doesn't support what you're what you're trying to change. I think that for me is the most important thing is remain authentic take feedback, like have an open mind, but remain authentic to what you've committed to and the way that you operate. It kind of, the the message, it reminds me of the the same point you're making around the athletic enjoyment, basically going back to that original core reasoning you're there. That's what sustains you. What was your reason for for wanting to be um, a successful swimmer? Every time you felt tired or you felt, you know, what was your reset? I think it was a couple of things. Firstly, I'm super competitive and I wanted to be the best swimmer I could be. And ultimately, I wanted to win a gold medal. Um, But I also think I I lost a few times and I missed teams and I realized that it sucked. And like I... I wanted to know, always stand behind the block, knowing that I'd done everything I could to make give myself the best chance because I couldn't control the result. Right? I could only do my best on any given day, 
But if I knew I'd done everything I could, then I would learn to live with the results and I could reflect upon it and I could grow from it. Whereas if, if I hadn't and I, and I still lost, then I would be always be thinking what if, or I'd be blaming myself or I might think there was more I could have done. So I think for me, it was that idea of preparing myself the best I could to give myself the best chance to win. That was ultimately it. So I guess often it was my my disappointments that fueled my ambition going forward. I think that's also a good uh, parallel back to entrepreneur life too, because I think we always say in you know startup world it's good to fail, which a lot of people don't understand. You know, why why would it be good to fail? You know, but the, the, what you're talking about is good to lose. You know, it's it's good to lose because you 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 fight a little harder to make sure you don't don't lose next time. And you and and you know you said it earlier, which I'm, I'm not sure um, I'm not sure is is a 100 percent true. But you said you you, know, you 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 were not the best swimmer. That's what you said. And I'm like, well, you must have been pretty good, but you weren't the best. And I think in a way that made you probably train a bit harder. That made you focus a little bit more, right? Which which actually often is the edge, isn't it? Yeah, I think it was like when I said I wasn't the best swimmer. Obviously, at one point I was the best swimmer. Yeah, you were. You, you were literally, you were literally but, the best yeah. swimmer in the world. Yeah, exactly. Literally. So, I, so I when you said that earlier, I'm like, mm, you, you were pretty good. It's true. I maybe paraphrase. I guess what I meant was I wasn't the most naturally gifted swimmer. Mm. So, like, I don't have like my husband. He cannot swim for months. Get in the water and he just cuts through the water. Like, mm. like he's a natural swimmer and he's a good athlete, which makes him amazing. But for me, I. I wasn't, when I was younger, like I had a roommate and she'd always win and I would be lucky if I scraped a bronze and it used to really frustrate me. But like you said, it made me work hard and it made me, it made me go back to the drawing board and it made me learn. So then when I got older and things leveled out a bit, I knew how to dig deep because I'd done it before. And I think that is important when you're an entrepreneur. It is important, like things won't go up. It's really difficult because in the beginning, if you get it off the ground, you're used to people going, oh my God, this is such an amazing idea. Oh gosh, like, yes, let's do this. And people are giving, heaping the praise on you and can't do enough to support you. But then you hit a point where people start to see the cracks because it's not going to be a perfect plan, right? Because if it was perfect, like it would be, you would have done it years ago or someone else would have done it. Mm -hmm. So like, but it's this idea, it's like reframing your thinking that, feedback or criticism or or like you said mistakes or or failure if that's what you want to call it isn't worthless and actually it just makes you take a step back reassess and see if you need to change direction or adjust anything so that when you get towards your objective you've got the best product or the best service that could be and you've already ironed out all the kinks like they're the people who end up being successful and having longevity in their idea. And like, sometimes people get caught up, like you, do you want that quick fix, that quick gratification, or do you want to achieve your overall objective that you set out for? So I think, again, like I said, reframe that thinking that actually all feedback is good um, because it helps you improve. And again, like that idea of like more than one mind, more than one uh, mind working on a problem. The whole point we talk about diversity and inclusion is so that we can see things from different angles and we can come up with the best solution. That's the reality. And again, that that is underpinned by not forgetting why you've started out doing what you're doing. Mm, it's such a good message. Uh, if you were to do it all again, uh, what would you do differently? Interesting question. I, 
I, I, people ask this question a lot and I try to think hard, but I'm like, ultimately, and again, this is a super cheesy, super cheesy answer. But I think like, I'm only who I am because of everything that's happened and the way that I've responded and the op- opportunities that have opened up and the lessons I've learned. And like in an ideal world, I would say maybe that I, I learned to, that I didn't need to do everything like everybody else. I didn't need to be like everybody else. I would have learned that at a younger age. But I think I did. Like my mum was really open and honest with me. So even as an eight year old, when I was, picking my musical instrument to learn at school. She was very frank with me. And she was like, you can choose the same as everyone else, but you won't be very good at it. Or we can find one that's going to enable you to be the best that you can potentially be. And then if you're not very good, it's because you weren't meant to do it, not because like your function is holding you back. So I learned that early on. And like, and like in an ultimate ideal world, I would say, you know, that I wouldn't particularly do anything differently, but my, my mum would still be alive or something like that. But actually even all of those things, every single thing that has happened has led me to where I am now and made me, given me the resolve that I've got and taught me the lessons. So actually I think I wouldn't do anything differently, but I might let myself believe that everything's going to be okay. Well, I've loved chatting to you today and I am now conscious that we're coming up to an hour and um, I know our listeners often uh, listen to us while they're on a run or, or, or going swimming maybe we'll figure that one out they can listen while they're swimming but um, but, uh, but I, I, I do appreciate your time I just want to end I guess with with maybe one question and I wanted to ask you you know about luck and how you feel about luck I mean do you how do you perceive luck do you feel that you've been lucky you've been unlucky you've had lots of luck. was there a particular moment as well in your in your life where you felt well that this was my lucky break I think in terms of luck they say don't they you make your own luck or the more you practice the luckier you get but actually I think everyone needs a little bit of luck and it depends what you perceive to be luck is it that you were in the right place at the right time is it that you had the courage to take the leap um I definitely appreciate circumstance with me and I think I think if I'm talking about luck and how lucky I am it's more a fortune and I'm really fortunate um and call that luck if you want to have the people in my life that I've got in my life that I've had at various points in my life that have supported me and enabled me to become the person that I am today thank you for that the reason I like to talk about luck sometimes is because um, a bit of what you just said there perception of luck is an interesting thing like I think I'm lucky to have dyslexia like I, I think my, my life today is better because of what was perceived as a weakness when I was younger so I like, I like people that are out there working really hard having watched that in, listened to that Instagram quote or watched, read that Instagram quote the harder you work the luckier you get and they've, they haven't made it and they're wondering why right so it, it, I think it is um it is an element that's important, I think, to discuss amongst those that have been successful, that there is an element of luck playing a part in our lives. And maybe it's just a question of persistence, as you mentioned earlier, or you know, resetting yourself and giving yourself the reason that you're here. Eventually, your luck will click in if you remember why you're there, you know, that type of or appreciate why you're there. You know, the actual luck is in the moment somehow. But I appreciate all of your insights today i've uh, it's been an absolute joy to have you on the podcast and i really appreciate you taking time out to share with us and i know you haven't even had lunch so 
go go and have some lunch and uh, still time still time we didn't we didn't hear your stomach grumble once so those on spotify or apple music you know they haven't been disturbed by your stomach so thank you so much for that and i really appreciate you taking time out thank you very much for having me